The One On Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Welcome to Thorn on Your Side. My name is Michael. I go by M on the internet. I've been doing a podcast now for so many episodes. I think it was like 15 odd or something, but I'm getting close to the 20 mark. Uh, I'm getting the hang of all of this, I believe. You can all hear me nicely now, hopefully, fingers crossed. But uh, again, there has been some issues, some technical issues trying to get things up and running. I had to evict a huntsman trying to set stuff up. I evicted the huntsman. There is only two sentient beings in this room now i believe fingers crossed yes so who i've got with me right now who can actually talk and um has two arms and two legs is a comrade of mine he works uh well he might like to elaborate on this uh, whether he i know he organizes with them the retail and fast food workers union his name is hayden hi hayden hey how you going good thank you so yeah you're an organizer and is it paid or is it voluntary uh, so I'm not an official organizer, uh, but I would consider what I do organizing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just a, a rank and file, uh, member of the, uh, retail and fast food workers union. And I work at, uh, Dimmix in, uh, Sydney CBD, but yeah, uh, I, I do do a lot of organizing, um, uh, both in my workplace. Uh, I got elected as the delegate, uh, early this year. I, I do try to assist other comrades, uh, in the union, uh, other workers who are trying to build up the union in their workplace, um, uh, trying to facilitate some sort of actions. Uh, so, yeah, in that sense, I, I do volunteer uh, my efforts uh, for the union, yeah. Okay. You work in Dimmix and you're a delegate in Dimmix. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, good to get that clarified. Um, that probably means you can actually do more political stuff then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> than if you're a yeah. organiser. That's right, yeah. So. Ooh, contentious comments. So... Within your workplace, Hayden, you are a RAFWU member. Mm -hmm. How many people are RAFWU members? How many people are SDA members? How many people are non-members? Yeah, so I, I work in uh, what is probably the biggest uh, bookshop in Australia, if not the Southern Hemisphere. Um, we certainly have like anywhere between, I don't know, like, between like 70 or 100 workers uh, working in, in our store. And uh, the vast majority of them are uh, casual workers, uh, which is not uncommon to the, the retail or fast food sectors. So it's sort of a, a, a very recent thing to get like uh, members in that workplace into the, um, into the union. Um, and we've really had quite a lot of them join up during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, especially in sort of the darker days here in New South Wales earlier in the year. So we probably have about, I guess it's like 13 or 14 members, depending on whether you include me <laughs> into that. Uh, I, I'm a you know fee-paying member, so I guess I can include myself. In terms of uh, the, the rival union, the SDA, uh, they have no, no presence uh, at Dimmick's, uh, in my particular store anyway. 
Uh, and when I used to be an SDA member, when there wasn't such a thing as, as RAFWU, they didn't have much interest in, in unionising my workplace uh, as much as I, I really wanted them to. Is that because a bookshop is not a supermarket? Yeah, uh, I, I've thought long and hard about this, and I think you're right. I think they stick to where they have these uh, historic kind of sweetheart deals with uh, big employers, mainly like Coles and, and Woolworths, and, and they have had some others um, probably like Kmart and, and so on. But uh, I think uh, Dimmix, even though it has, I think, about 60 stores, it, it falls outside of their their uh, scope, which, uh, you know, maybe if you had talked to me a few years back before Raffer existed, I'd say that's a bit of a shame and, you know, I'd, I'd really be trying to push something there. But um, today, now that, you know, Raffer exists, I say, well, that's fantastic that they don't have any representation there because uh, we can get on and, and do our hard work of... You know, unionizing that workplace and not have any hindrances yeah you say that there is that um that relationship between the sda and big retailing companies that's where their attention is best spent perhaps being a bit more cynical that is perhaps where they're best placed to assist with the levers of capital and labor um, within the retail sector but that leaves a gap of support and union coverage, I would suppose, for anything that's outside of a, the, that corporate union nexus. And that's including your demixes and, and whatnot. I remember when, um, oh, how long ago was it? Yeah, I think I was between jobs 10, 15 years ago. I picked up some casual work in a stationery shop uh, called WC Penfolds. Oh, yeah? That used to be on the main track of Sydney, close to Dimmicks, I think. Yeah, it's like there's a stationary district. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in your uh, neck of the woods where there's like all that sort of stuff, office stuff and books and stuff. But that shop's not there anymore. The place where I used to work in North Sydney is not there anymore. So because it involves pen and paper and whatnot and you're moving into a workforce that's becoming increasingly digital and I suppose with this year increasingly remote as well, it might not necessarily be a more secure labour market compared to the big corporations, hence further lack of interest with the SDA possibly. I guess what I am trying to do here is, um, is really trying to drum up what would inspire the RAFWU to get more involved within this union climate. Would that, will that be fair to say there, Hayden, or is this just a, a real hot take? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, an interesting take. And, and maybe you're right, maybe the SDA is, is sort of cutting its losses. You know, if it doesn't have representation somewhere and if the industry looks like it's possibly uh, not going to sort of exist or maybe be a lot more contracted in the next sort of 10, 20 years, and maybe they don't have interest there. But having worked at Dimmicks for a while, I get that question a lot from uh, customers. Um, you know, oh, I thought bookshops were, were dead and, um, you know, they're, they're disappearing and all the little independents and everything. And, and that's true. Certainly um, bigger brands like Dimmicks and, you know, the advent of uh, Amazon have gobbled them up. But uh, I, I say to them, like, the demise of bookshops has been greatly exaggerated. Um, Dimmicks makes a lot of money. And through the COVID-19 pandemic has made a lot of money from online sales so um, it just just means that the labor force has just shifted uh slightly more into online yeah but we, we do have like overwhelmingly most of our staff in a physical shop um selling physical goods to real people who come in off the street do you uh, have an online aspect to your role as well uh in in terms of like my workplace role or in in terms of the union 
Well, your workplace role. Um, so you're in a shop, you're yeah. selling and ordering ephemeral real life books. Um, I was just wondering whether you, you handled some of the admin back office online as well in your role. No, not really. Um, we have our own dedicated like website team. So uh, some workers who deal with that specifically. The way that uh, my store kind of functions is there is a large warehouse underneath the building and uh, there are separate staff who work in that warehouse and um, they in terms of how the the website runs they kind of treat the warehouse and both the physical store as, as if it was like a large warehouse where they can just go and pick and, and click and collect and, and whatever it might be just go and pick up those products as soon as they're ordered and then send them out to um, send them out to those customers so it's, it's quite different to like Amazon or Booktopia or other places like that where they don't have physical shops and they have these vast warehouses. And I think we've heard a lot through the news over the years about how like Amazon workers have been treated. There's sort of a, a funny little uh, comment that you often hear in the, the book sort of sector that uh, whether it's from customers or just casual observers that, you know, when you tell them, oh, I work in a bookshop, they go, wow, that must be so great. So nice to work in a bookshop. But really you are just in the belly of the beast. Like it's not unlike working in, in Woolworths or, or Coles, which I do have experience of. It's basically just a supermarket for books. Um, it's got the same level of problems that those places have, same level of alienation, the same uh, issues that staff find across the sector. So uh, all of these reasons are good reasons for any unionist to, to get involved and, and try to ch- turn those things around, yeah. And you said that you worked casually? So I do have a lot of co-workers who work casually, uh, but as of last year, uh, I did, with the support of the union, get myself a part-time contract. Prior to that, and, and prior, prior to the union sort of being around... Um, Sorry, RAFU assistance? Yeah, RAFU assistance, yeah. Okay. So prior to, to RAFU sort of being around, um, I had, under previous managers, uh, you know, asked to go part-time and they pretty much gave me the same excuse that, oh, the company couldn't afford it. You know, this huge multi-million dollar company couldn't afford it mm-hmm. to put me on. It was always excuses. But uh, as soon as I said, hey, I want to go part-time and, you know, the union will be acting in representation of me and supporting me, um, that, that that tune quickly changed, yeah. So is that covered by some form of award or enterprise bargaining agreement within the bookshop where if you're a casual employee for a certain amount of time, you should be entitled to going on in a permanent role? So my shop is covered by the uh, retail award. So we just get all the basic provisions that are available under the national employment standards, which also means that we are paid at sort of at the minimum that they're legally allowed to, to pay us, basically. So there isn't really much legroom in the award, unfortunately, for employees to demand that they be converted from casual to part-time or full-time work. There was a recent change almost two years ago by the Fair Work Commission, which it's a good provision, but it's uh, still quite weak. It just says that a worker can ask their manager to go part-time and instead of the manager saying no and not giving a reason, now they have to give you some sort of reason um, and there's there's sort of a responsibility of the employer to say what that reason is, um, and it has to, I guess, be a realistic reason, like your role won't be ongoing or something. So it gives a little bit of legroom um, for the maybe unions uh, to intervene in that space and say, well, actually, you know, the excuses you gave are uh, invalid. You have no reason why this person can't go permanent, uh, but it still leaves uh, a lot of casuals uh I guess outside of any kind of protection for job security, um, an employer can still turn around and say, no, sorry. 
Was that the argument that the RAFRU used to be able to secure you a part-time role? So or was it more like relying upon the employer's benevolence in recognising the fact that you've been around there for so long and it's like you should be due a bit more security? Yeah, I think the, the latter helped a lot. I did expect that we might have to fight it, that you know we would have to use this, this change in the award, but fortunately we didn't have to go down that path. Yeah, I, I was able to use my, my cachet, having worked there for whatever it was at that time, five or six years, uh, so really, the my employer didn't really have a leg to stand on to to turn me down, and and hopefully, you know, we can get more more workers into part time or full time work uh, at Dimix. It's just untenable that there should be so many casualized workers uh, who don't have job security. So your case then would that perhaps set a precedent that could inspire other permanencies within the bookshop? Yeah, I would hope so. If worse came to worse, like what? we would look at doing perhaps is running some sort of permanency campaign to get uh, however many staff uh, are interested in converting uh, to get them to join this campaign and, and collectively um, you know, push the, the employer to make more staff um, permanent. I certainly wouldn't want a situation where the employer is sort of uh, making the workers compete against one another for, for permanency. I think there's definitely... Um, uh, the roles there, the, the money there, the available hours to, to make most of us yeah, permanent. You were saying that um, a lot of staff members or workers um, were wanting to become RAFWU members uh, because of COVID. Could you talk a little bit more about that one? Was it the idea that the pandemic did introduce that idea of lack of work security or a workplace that would be attempted to to rationalize roles even further because of pandemic economic things that were going on yeah that's absolutely correct and i don't think my uh, particular employer is unique in this way uh, i think under covid19 this year like a lot of workplaces have experienced uh, either outright attacks on workers like just cutting them uh, closing down stores cutting their hours there were provisions made under the JobKeeper legislation that if you qualified for that, uh, your employer could pretty much dictate the terms and conditions of your employment, how often you would work, where you would work, uh, even if you were already under some kind of contract. I mean, for most of our staff, they're, they're casual, so they kind of have to experience that you know, every day, um, being told uh, when to work. But Naive question. If you're a casual, can you access JobKeeper? Uh, yes, you can. Yeah, so quite a few casuals at Dimix did access uh, access the JobKeeper, and we were pretty keen to generalise that out. Uh, in fact, we did run a uh, campaign during the uh, pandemic to get more staff to get like something equivalent uh, to JobKeeper. Uh, we kind of kicked that off before JobKeeper really was a, a done and tried sort of thing uh, that was rolled out by the government. Uh, like we'd already demanded ahead of them that you know all staff should be paid uh, like an infectious diseases leave um, if if we had to access that um, or if we had dependents at home who we need to take care of um, kids who wouldn't go to school any longer or uh, elderly parents or something like that. But I think coupled with this uh, kind of campaign that we're doing and also the general sense of panic and insecurity about people's jobs, um, we did have a few people join up out of that um, and have become quite active in the union. Yeah. So where to from here then within the bookshop, Hayden? Is there scope then to try to get more people onto a permanent role? Is there interest amongst workers 
towards doing that? Is that leading to other non-members thinking about signing up? Uh, yeah, uh, so we don't have a campaign at the moment around permanency, but it's definitely something that we're discussing. And, you know, if, if there is a, enough interest in that, then we'll roll it out. Uh, we have had some management changes during the pandemic and some new uh, managers have come on and they're seemingly more benevolent than our previous managers, not so resistant to uh, workers asking to go part-time or full-time. So uh, we've already had uh, a few non-members uh, and some members go uh, permanent. So we're pretty happy with that already. Um, you know, it's always a good thing when you don't actually have to kick up a huge fuss, um, but we are prepared to do that if the employer is being unreasonable. Okay. <laughs> These managers, uh, maybe once upon a time, they were casual workers in a bookstore. As far as managers go, whatever industry they're in, um, you know, if, if they were the type of manager, which I think they're a vast minority, and they work their, their way up from the shop floor to become something, I think they quickly forget where they came from and are <laughs> quick to kick away the the ladder. In my, my uh, workplaces, really no career progression unless you do want to become uh, a manager, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of good people there with a lot of passion and interest. Um, but uh, like I said, it's just another kind of supermarket type style uh, retailer. And yeah, they're just not interested in fostering uh, that kind of relationship with staff. Yeah. Perhaps from here, Hayden, we can talk a little bit more about then um, the, the actual RAFWU. There was no RAFWU. I don't think we would be able to be having this conversation right now and having some stuff to talk about in terms of our people have been able to, to get some gains working in a bookstore and in terms of being able to assert rights and, and whatnot. So tell me a little bit about RAFWU, how you became involved with how they might be picking up some slack that has been left by the likes of SDA. So in terms of my uh, involvement, I didn't uh, bolt out of the gate and join RAFU as soon as it was uh, set up. Um, uh, I was working in retail at the time. Uh, I didn't really know what this new thing uh, RAFU was. I think a lot of people didn't really know what it was or where it was going. And I didn't read too much into uh, its story. Uh, it had uh, come out of a, um, a kind of, a, I guess, campaign or interest of retail workers, fast food workers who were fed up with the uh, SDA, the conservative um, retail unions been around for many, many decades. I think part of the, the workers who decided to jump ship and create their, un their own union were uh, a bunch of Coles workers because they had spent the past uh, year, two years uh, fighting their own company, but also the SDA and the Fair Work Commission uh, around an agreement that they had made that the SDA uh, had cut a bunch of uh, rights and conditions in significantly, like their penalty rates, um, sort of evening, uh, weekend penalty rates, while the SDA tried to tell their members that actually it was a really good deal that they were getting, um, even though they were losing heaps of rights. So I think a lot of outraged former SDA members, non-SDA members set up RAFRU. I probably came late to the table, probably like two years into it sort of being around. It was still quite small. Um, we are still quite a small union as compared to all the established unions, uh, but we are probably the fastest growing union, I'd say. Uh, I'd really have to probably sit down and read some uh, member stats on some other unions, um, but all I hear is about decline, uh, regrettably, in other unions. But we just had our AGM last night and we, re we reported that we have 2,700 members now. Um, and so that's in the space of however long we've been around now, I think four years. So 
yeah. Um, yeah, we've been doing really, really good in, in terms of picking up the slack, like you said, uh, of the SDA where, you know, they're not interested in intervening in some places like bookshops it might be, but also fighting them toe-to-toe in areas where they are quite well-established, like in the supermarkets, so, yeah. Right. Well, I'll believe whatever stats you tell me, Hayden. <laughs> um, I, I do like the idea of it, of it being a growing union. It does suggest to me that there is a, a need and it is responding to some of the issues that are happening within the workplace. For you then, uh, you said that you, were, you waited a little while before signing on. What was the hook for you in joining the RAFWU? Yeah, I think it was partly my own frustration that at the time, uh, I think it was really like 2017 was a bit of a, a light switch moment for me where I decided, yeah, I think I need to change uh, for my own benefit. At the time, I was an SDA member. There were these massive attacks um, being run out by the government and by uh, the retail sort of employee, uh, sorry, employer lobby groups against penalty rates. You know, a lot of these employer groups had it really sweet under old SDA deals where they didn't have to pay certain penalty rates. They'd been arguing for years and years and years to the government that uh, actually retail workers, uh, fast food workers uh, really don't need to be paid at the rates they're being paid at on weekends. And uh, unfortunately, they they did win their argument to both the government and to the Fair Work Commission. And uh, from 2017 up until this year, uh, every year we've had a successive cut to our uh, penalty rates. I think it's between like, depending on the year, 10 and 15% each year. Do you feel that the SDA could have done more? Yeah, as a, as a former SDA member at the time, I really wanted them to do more. I did go to their offices asking them to do more, to, to intervene into my own workplace, um, to give me the materials that I needed to help organise my workers, uh, to organise my workmates. But they just showed utter reluctance and the kind of campaigns I saw them roll out in collaboration with the Australian Council of Trade Unions was pretty abysmal, in my opinion. I felt like they were just half-assing it. Uh, All they were interested in doing was putting up a few memes on uh, social media, and and that was the level of involvement. Like Nobody was actually organising the protests, the rallies that were needed, I think, to uh, actually combat it. So I I really felt like they just let it happen. So uh, I think that was the moment that I decided, well, I've had enough of this mob. I really need to see what uh, the other side has to offer um, and I haven't looked back. Yeah, well, I want you to just look back there for a minute, Hayden. Um, (laughs) So when you did uh, try to have those real conversations with the SDA, what was the experience? Uh, Were you ghosted? Were you paid lip service? Or is it a case of, oh, that might be a good idea. Let's see where that goes. A couple of good memes and then it ended. Like, what was the experience there? Yeah. Uh, So being like the only union member in your workplace can be a little bit isolating. Um, So, you know, I was kind of looking out for some sort of support. And when I tried looking for that in the SDA, a number of different ways I tried to to look for that, I felt like they were just sort of slamming doors in my face. Like uh, I I went down to their, their local ranch headquarters in Sydney I rocked up and I said, hey, you know, I work at, uh, you know, this place in the city. Uh, It'd be really great if I got some membership forms, maybe some uh, propaganda you guys have, uh, so I can try to convince my my co-workers to to join up and, you know, we can try and fight penalty rate cuts and and do all these other things. And the staff at at the union office were just, like, baffled. Uh, It seemed like they had never had anybody walk in before and say, I'm a member of your organisation 
I want to do something. I want to be active. And it was quite, it was like a Benny Hill show. They were fumbling over themselves, calling out people, calling on the phone. Oh, whereabouts are the membership forms? Where do we keep the flyers again? And I was like, what is this operation? Like, you, you really don't seem to you know, have much care or interest in, in what you're doing. Um, that was a real moment for me where I was like, yeah, maybe they really don't care. Uh, I, I was already quite critical of the SDA before that. I knew that they had been a conservative union, um, one that had uh, used their member money to lobby against um, uh, same-sex marriage uh, for years and years, had lobbied against abortion rights and lots of other things. So that was a telltale moment, I think. Their conservative union when you would relate them to other union affiliates. But the other thing I'm getting there with your answer, Hayden, is that they might necessarily have the best capacity when presented with very active staff members and union members who, who want to do more. Yeah, with the Benny Hill treatment, like, a, yeah, with, what, what do they do next? Oh, my God, there's someone that's interested in actually what we're talking about. What do we do now? That sort of stuff, yeah. I think there's a, like a real hollowness to the messaging that uh, they put out, and and I think this puts uh, this should put other unions on notice. Like if you're just putting out hollow rhetoric, whether it's to the media or uh, you know on your Facebook videos, but you're not actually doing anything. If you're just paying lip service to workers, then you're not doing your job as a union. And if you're an organizer or you're the secretary of your union. And you're not actually trying to activate your your rank and file to fight back. If you think that unions are just lobbying in parliament, then you have a really distorted view of what unions are. I think through this year particularly, the pandemic has added an extra dimension to the the political tensions that, that would happen normally. There seems to be this somewhat juxtaposition within union affiliates between everyday campaigns, like rolling out the campaigns, advertising them, helping organise in relation to those campaigns, versus the stuff presents itself at the workplace and at the grassroots, and also identifying any other political issues or movements that may potentially intersect with labour issues. I would argue that in regards to the latter, a lot of that with the bigger union affiliates and definitely with the likes of the SDA are ignored. There is that safer option of putting all the union eggs into the, the resource basket and really concentrating on pumping out those campaigns. Um, you get some members through that. You might get the rusted on members types that will continue offering their support because it's the right union-y thing to do. So it's a very cynical way of operating. Now, we could have a bit more of a chat about this one, Hayden, um, in the sense that I feel like it's a very number-crunching approach to maintaining union support, but only enough to reach a certain goal. And this is where I might even put my even bigger cynical hat on and say, <laughs> this is about operating within an election cycle. You do all the campaign stuff and it all comes together with the, the next election, whether it be state or federal based. Um, and that's where you rally up the, the members that you have that could um, potentially shore up the friendly votes to get the, the friendly people in and elected. 
which to me is quite a restrictive way of managing a union movement. But to me, that's what seems to be transpiring when it's such a campaign-heavy approach. Just wondering what your thoughts are on that, Hayden. And the other thing as well is is that um, you've just backed up today from an action involving transgender issues, Mark Latham being a bit of a bastard in New South Wales Parliament, talking about stuff that's very transphobic. So there was an action outside Newtown Neighbourhood Centre today where uh, we're currently recording this episode. So... I'm wondering how amenable and open unions are to those kind of issues as well, because that's a grassroots intersectional one. So a few things going on there, Hayden. You've got 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with your assessment. I think it is regrettable that unions, uh, not all, but uh, some unions, um, especially the Australian Council of Trade unions, the peak body is is moving or has been moving towards just uh, electoral campaigns, just to vote Labor campaigns. I don't think that's the best use of members' money, time, resources. If you're going to mobilise members, get it out to fight, you know, whatever the latest sort of attack is on uh, workers. And if there isn't an attack, we should be going on the offensive to win all the demands that we always talk about. I really think that's where they should be doing, uh, uh, should be putting their energies. Uh, In terms of like grassroots campaigns, uh, like uh, whether it's, uh, LGBTI issues or, um, you know, the attacks on, on trans kids uh, that like Mark Latham is, is running out of the New South Wales Parliament. Definitely these are new frontiers that unions should be getting involved in, shouldn't be paying lip service to, definitely should be supporting yeah, these kinds of workers in their workplaces with whatever local issues they have. Um, Rafu has already done that, helped some, some trans members um, overcome bigoted managers, and it's, that's some pretty inspiring stuff. But also get involved in the street actions. Unions used to do a lot of that not too long ago, and it would be great to see more of that. It has all of this, uh, this untapped energy, this untapped power, and uh, it really should be contributing more. Sorry, street actions? Yeah, like I say, not that long ago, I'm only 30, but uh, maybe I've put my head into a few too many books on union history. But, uh, you know, I think the kind of examples I'm thinking of are like in the late 60s, 70s, the Builders Labourers Federation is sort of that uh, union that's held up, um, even by some of the unions we've talked about so far, even by the Australian Council of Trade Unions, they're held up as this gold standard but when the kind of actions that the BLF supported are rolled out today you don't see the ACTU or any unions uh, jump on board in a serious way you know the BLF took up the struggle uh, against homophobia they defended uh, a queer student at Macquarie University when they were being kicked out of their college this is at a time when homophobia was the default setting of society but here is a a mostly male dominated industry uh, with uh, lefty sort of uh, members and, and leaders who thought actually touch one touch all this is uh, a person that we should be standing up for and uh, defending you know and if if you get a community group or a protest movement or something like that grassroots movement come knocking at your door and you're a big union then yeah you shouldn't turn them away or ignore them you should you know decide if this is a struggle that you should invest your time and energies into it would seem that if the ACTU were to talk about any um, issues that may not be directly associated with the labour movement, there has to be some sort of connection or lock with the electoral institution. To that end, I can think about a few years ago with the yes vote, 
the union would definitely have a position on plebiscite where they would advocate for the yes, but that's because that was a, an electoral mechanism, an electoral process. You know, I, I don't know how many <laughs> how many people agree with a rogue podcaster here, but if it was a case of an employer that was deliberately not employing anyone because they were same-sex or a same-sex couple, they had kids out of that relationship, they wouldn't employ them as a result of that family status, it seems like the only time the union would become involved if there was a critical mass of those cases and it was affecting a particular employment sector. Again, I keep coming back to that idea of being able to quantify everything, you know, mm. the amount of cases that are presented, the amount of members there are, the amount of votes that are on hand, the, the, the salient rate of union density, all this stuff, you know. There is a quality to these things that crosses movements. And, and I think... By rationalising it in such a way, um, I think a lot of the, the critical political stuff gets ignored. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think if it was a matter of quantifying whether the union should uh, support something, whether it's just tacitly or actually throwing in resources and, and members trying to support whatever struggle that might be, I think we would see a situation where unions would never support any struggle because struggle of minorities is always a minority struggle. You've got a minority of members who are queer or uh, disabled or something. Um, we would never see any action on, on those issues by unions. And I think it is a responsibility of unions to fight for all of their members, um, not for the, the vast majority who are, uh, at least in this country, like white and, and cisgendered. We should be fighting for, for all of our members. In terms of like the, the plebiscite, the, the yes vote campaign, I, I spent a good number of years organising uh, or, or being involved in an organisation that organised the street protest around marriage equality here in Sydney. And we did every time try to get the support of unions. And we got some friendly left-leaning unions to send out their members. But really, these were the days when uh, marriage equality was such a banal issue. Like, um, you know, the majority of the population supported it. A lot of people thought by the time of the plebiscite that it was pretty insane to have a, a plebiscite on this issue, considering how many people supported it. They, a lot of people thought it should just be legislated. But it was um, interesting to observe that unions might talk about how they support their, their queer members, but weren't actually willing to send out uh, contingents of their, their unions um, to these rallies. Um, and I don't hold any particular grudge or anything against unions, but I think it was a, a strategic failure. Like, if your union's not going out fighting for you... Uh, and you're a queer person and you don't have the, the right to get married, I, I would, I think that'd be pretty confronting. The fact that I was in a union that was sort of openly homophobic um, made it worse. But if you're in a union that pays lip service to these issues but actually doesn't do much uh, around them in terms of fighting around huge civil rights issues, then, yeah, uh, it's pretty disappointing. But we want to see more of that involvement, yeah. So in, in terms of that idea of um, inclusivity within the labour movement, stuff that incorporates um, a lot of the issues within social movements as well as labour movements, all the stuff that, that promotes a real class identity, really. Yeah. How much do you think it would, uh, would assist things if union groups like the RAFWU, Scarlet Alliance, the Unemployed Workers Union... How much of it would uh, would it assist things if um, if union groups like that received official affiliation with the ACTU, or is that just a, a symbolic thing, or does it have some sort of political power to it? 
or is there other ways of building up the movement and, and increasing membership and all that sort of thing? What do you think there, Hayden? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I, as a rank and file member, like I can't honestly say I know too much about the inner workings of the the ACTU. And I feel like most uh, rank and file members of, of many unions will be the same. They just know that there's this umbrella organisation that sort of uh, tells us whether we, we should go out uh, and protest or not, whether we should go and support Labor getting elected or not every couple of years. But beyond that, we, we don't hear much from them, uh, but a few sound bites. So my position on whether unions like RAFU or Scarlet Alliance or the AUWU uh, should affiliate, it probably depends on each of those unions. Uh, I think as a RAFU member, I'd say our union, uh, our members are not very interested. If you spoke to most of our members about the ACTU, they probably would be like, who the hell are they? And that's not because of a, a lack of education on their part. It's because the ACTU is pretty irrelevant in terms of actually producing the goods, actually coming out and doing something, organising things. Uh, I think most Australians wouldn't know who the ACTU is and maybe that needs uh, that, that needs to force them to, to look in the mirror a bit and reevaluate what kind of organisation they are and uh, how relevant they should be to the working class. So I think, yeah, it would be symbolic if we affiliated. I feel like if there is some expense in affiliating to these peak trades council sort of bodies and that's not really a, a cost that I guess our members could justify when we could be pumping that money into, you know, shop floor sort of campaigns uh, or maybe some of the litigation that we've rolled out against uh, big employers uh, who are on the attack, uh, like like McDonald's, for example, recently. And in terms of like political power, certainly, yeah, the ACTU does have this kind of political clout, uh, this this power. But it's it's such a shame that uh, not the ACTU. I don't think the ACTU has uh, ever come out and said yes, we support. Labor or the Greens, but uh, most people who are involved in the ACTU are uh, Labor aligned. And uh, if they're heading up um, all the unions that are affiliated, they're usually pushing, uh, you know, these these vote Labor campaigns. Um, and and Rafu is not politically aligned, and I think that upsets some people. Maybe when we grow a bit bigger and have a lot more members, maybe uh, we won't be so oppositional we won't be seen as as oppositional to their interests maybe we'll get poached and and they'll ask us please uh, give up some of your members funds so we can vote labor and uh, that'll be a crossroads we'll have to cross in in the future and uh, hopefully we'll say no thank you um we're doing quite fine we're putting all of our time and energy in building up our union i think the grassroots approach then and, and building up stuff from the shop floor i think that is certainly one that is uh, there's priority then um, above going cap in hand to the ACTU asking for affiliation. Because I think you're right, like um, if there is that a formal affiliation process, is that going to improve anything more more drastically still? Or would it actually hamper the current efforts by it suddenly looking like some sort of funneling um, towards the, the, the Labor electoral machine that seems to have that symbiosis with, um, with unionism? particularly more so these days um, than it was in the past. Certainly one of the arguments um, that's been used against RAFU, uh, often we hear from uh, our opponents, um, usually from the SDA uh, or, or people who are not in the SDA but really love them for some reason, often we hear that uh, RAFU is not a real union and uh, when you ask these uh, people to list the reasons why they think RAFU is not a real union, they always come up short and one of the, the big reasons we get is oh well you're not affiliated to this trades hall or 
or the ACTU or whatever. And I've never heard of this like a kind of argument being waged against other unions. Um, that being said, a lot of unions are affiliated to these uh, bodies, but then there are unions who are, are not affiliated. I mean, the SDA isn't affiliated to the, the Victorian Trades Hall Council. They got booted out of there, I think it was back in the 90s, for being racist, um, but being you know opposed to Aboriginal rights. I hope a lot of people hear that and reevaluate their position in the SDA. But, True story. True story. Yeah, uh, but, you know, um, they, they've actually been invited back into the fold there. Uh, I don't believe they've yet become a paid-up member of the Victorian Trades Hall but yeah, I don't think being affiliated to these these big bodies uh, legitimizes whether you are or, or aren't a union. I think if you are doing the the good work that unions do, if you've got members who have come together and, and said, yeah, we're all a union, then that's a union. Uh, good point, Hayden. Might be a good way of wrapping things up there, actually. I would like in future episodes to explore this idea of, of how labour groups can, can better organise and how there can be more voice in terms of the grassroots stuff that, that happens and shop floor stuff that happens and rank and file stuff that happens because I think that there can be so much attention put towards how awesome the union is as an administrative order and how well it can agitate and influence election outcomes feel like there's more than that oh yeah there's loads yeah <laughs> particularly when we you know we saw this action that happened just before our interview today a bunch of angry people out in the streets really giving it to mark latham for his he's fucked up views yeah transgender rights and how it connects with labor solidarity those are the big questions Anyway, Hayden, uh, thank you very much for your time. Hope to catch up with you later. Hopefully, if I do so, there'll be a lot more RAFWU members and we can talk about those happy circumstances when we get there. Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. All the best.